HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. Whole Foods Market is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network and the Department of Transportation Summer Streets, a three-day series of events dedicated to healthy, active living on the car-free streets of New York City. Join us at the Whole Foods Market City Picnic Area on 24th Street and Park Avenue the first three Saturdays in August. Find more information at the DOT's website, keyword Summer Streets. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show. Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. Too bad for radio and too good looking for television. And now, here they are. America's last best hope to make the internet safe for absolutely no one. Two people who will do pretty much anything for a pizza. Your hosts, Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. All right. Welcome back to the Mike and Judy Show. I'm Mike Edison, and once again, surrounded by astonishingly brilliant women, but no one more so than my co-hostess with the mostess, the woman who is too hot for television, Judy McGuire. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Judy. Before we get to our, our guests, I think we need a little we time. We need a little Mike and Judy time. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck happened here last week? Well, as the sober one, <laughs> the designated driver last week, the non-smoker, I, I went home and I bought like three sandwiches, everything the Italian deli had to sell me. I was very suggestible and I just went home, ate and went to sleep. I don't even smoke the marijuana. To, to recap, last week was Apocalypse 2011. Apoc- Apocalypse 2011. <laughs> I wish we could do that for we should have that like a word of the day and just do that every episode. It was definitely a milestone, an experimental stoner radio. And you know what happened after uh, we left, the Oprah Winfrey came by. The Oprah Winfrey, which, oh. you know, which, which, you know, the great mystery, it was uh, opium, cocaine, and reefer cigarette. Oh, I'm glad we missed that uh, one. You know, I'm, um, 
you know, I'm maybe too old to know better, but too young to care. <laughs> so um, today's show, we've got a great show. Today's a special punk rock DIY show. Uh, introduce our guest, Judy, please. Well, we have two fine fillies from Greenpoint. Greenpoint represent. <laughs> we have Liz Nord, who's a documentary filmmaker who did this film Jericho's Echo, Punk Rock in the Chosen Land, and is working on a film called Battle for Jerusalem. Um, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And we have the fabulous Karen Rose, who just self-published a book called B-Sides and Broken Hearts. Uh, she does a, a Mets website fanzine yeah. blog. Um, I know nothing about sports, so that we'll keep that conversation uh kind of <laughs> quick but she also she's also a contributor to Backstreets which um, is dedicated to my favorite New Jerseyite besides myself um, uh-huh. Bruce Springsteen uh-huh. oh and you're, you're, besides I, sorry besides okay. Mike I meant you're, you're, to say well, you're putting the boss Bon Jovi <laughs> Bon Jovi oh. Frank, Sinatra. Frank Sinatra come on living on a prayer that's my go to karaoke Duke Ellington oh you're younger though <laughs> All right, the phone better start lighting up with proud Jerseyites <laughs> representing. So um, here we are, DIY. You ladies did it yourself. You cut out the useless middleman, uh, heretofore American tradition. Um, let's talk about self-publishing. Does yeah. it work? Hey, Karen, why did you choose to self-publish? Um, so I wrote this book almost 10 years ago and then found an aid, went through traditional, you know, my, my first reaction was, I'm DIY. I published fanzines. Uh-huh. I had the first REM fanzine. I contributed to every New York fanzine back in the 80s. So I finished a book, and my reaction is, okay, I'm going to just put it out myself, because that's what you do, right? Well, that's how we were, were brought, that's how we grew up. Right. You, you do your stuff, you put it out, you don't wait for someone else's blessing, you just do it. But everyone said, oh, no, 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 you're, you don't do that to yourself. It's, your stuff is too good for that. So I went through the traditional route of, you know, querying agents, um, getting, you know, I had, and it should have been like the overnight success story. I eventually had five agents offering to represent me. The I chose an agent, and they said, okay, now we're going to sell this. And then they couldn't sell it. Every single publisher who liked it said, in the end, a version of, we really love this book, and we love her writing, but we're just not sure how we're going to sell it. So so she said, go write another book, go write another book, and then we can package the two of them together. But I couldn't write anything that she thought was good enough to package. And after she rejected my my third manuscript... and you know also to be fair self publishing has been ch- has changed a lot when i wanted to self publish it probably would have cost me close to 10 grand to get it out and do all the promotion myself and get my own copies and now you can do it for next to nothing i chose to spend a, some money on it cuz i wanted it to look super sharp and so that nobody could use the oh it's formatted badly as an excuse for rejecting it but um you know j- there's this guy joe conrath that your friend barry eisler who we'll talk about um was very also very against self-publishing until he realized how much money he could make and how much more control he would have and how much quicker the stuff would go out. Yeah. And I had friends of mine who were writers who were like, "Oh, I'll introduce you to my agent. You just ha- you you know you just have a bad agent," which I don't believe was the case. Um, it's a double-edged sword, I think, the self-publishing, the DIY thing. I mean, first of all, you control it, and all the money comes back to you. Right. On the other hand, it's nice to have a professional publisher giving it the imprint of some legitimacy, which you may or may not need anymore, especially if you have a platform. If you're on the radio, if you have a popular blog spot. And I reckon blogs now are sort of like the modern version of fanzines. Absolutely. That's how I always considered fanzines. I always considered, you know, I... 
I had the first Patti Smith quote unquote fanzine on my first website was called Radio Ethiopia because I mean that but, wasn't like oh I like the name of it it was like because because of like her whole treatise about Radio Ethiopia and that tirade on WBII back in the day but the problem is um, while the barrier to entry went away which, which is great because now we can do these things we can make our books we can make our radio shows it's what we're doing here at Roberta's I mean you're too hot for television Judy so of course I know we, I'd be breaking tubes all we couldn't go down that route um, but the, since there's a barrier to entry too many people with serious talent deficit are getting in the game and diluting the water I don't, I don't see that, and that's where all the pro big publishing people are saying. The, the 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 logic that people always give is well, the difference between books and music is that if you're a band, you at least have that. You have to get up and perform in front of people, so that filters out the bad people. And I'm not really sure that's, how that's, that's actually but, true. Hi, Dave Matthews. Also, there's a huge. I mean, there's a huge verb in do it yourself, right? This is Liz. Hi. Mm. Um, <laughs> the do part, and I think um, when it comes down to it, you. You know, you may not be investing as much money or there's not a publishing company or, in my case, you know, a, a film studio investing as much money in you, but you're investing so much more time. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, the people that are willing to really, really put in the time it takes to make some success on, you know, with a book or a film or independent music or whatever, like, maybe they suck. I don't know, but... It, they sort of deserve some people are certainly the success because they the are value like, of their art. But let me ask you this: because making a film is an expensive proposition, yeah. writing a book, except for the sweat, equity, and time, basically doesn't really cost anything. There's no overhead right. uh, on it. But making a movie is expensive, especially so how, a movie in Israel. Yeah, like, and when and you, you have live to in have, Brooklyn, you have to have equipment. I mean, you could write a book on, on in a notebook and have right. someone type it for you. So right. yeah, but and I had a similar experience, you know, in terms of my first film, which was actually a punk movie. So it kind of like all worked out in mm-hmm. the. Um, it was called Jericho's Echo, Punk Rock in the Holy Land, as, as Judy mentioned, and it was about um, Israeli punk rockers and kind of looking at the situation in the Middle East from a whole other set of perspectives. And I wasn't a trained filmmaker. I'd, I'd always known I'd wanted to make films, but it was so expensive at, when I first started out to even think about it, because even the digital systems were $100,000. It just was not accessible. It started to become more and more accessible with digital technology getting cheaper, but even still, I went to a few like independent classes in San Francisco. You know, things there's there's a class everybody takes called Shaking the Money Tree, and it's basically like <laughs> wow, how, that should be like a <laughs> mandatory college course for well, everyone. It's, it's yeah, actually it it's, the thing is, I mean, it's a great. There's some great pointers there, but his whole the the, the professors, teachers, whatever whole philosophy is like you need to get money from rich people, which is, you know, great in theory. But I went to the class and I basically said, you know, what about someone like me who's really not well connected to wealthy people? And, you know, yeah. I don't really even know anyone I could go to. And he said, well, get to know them. That was his answer. Yeah. And I was so discouraged. I left That's that class letdown. and thought, I'm never going to make a movie. But then I realized, you know, Again, that she's um, gesturing I, at me. Since I had, I'm gesturing. Sorry, I'm not used to this radial thing. Um, I'm gesturing at my lovely co-guest. Um, that basically. I came from a punk background where you, you know, we realized we can do it ourselves, and, and I don't necessarily need to do it the same way everybody and, else says. And, we and took I made control. it happen. We took control of the medium because that was part of our message was that we can do it. We weren't going to kowtow to large. That's how punk rock started, right? Yeah. It was against you know corporate rock sucks. Corporate rock still sucks, and we had to make flyers. We didn't have an internet or a MySpace page. We had to make the flyers. We were very competitive. My bands always were anyway. That our artwork looked as good as possible. We went around and we glued them on telephone poles on the sides of bars. 
But to get a gig, I had to go to the bar and wait for the guy. Yeah. If the guy yeah. didn't show up, I had to go to the bar again the next thing. And, and you, you had to bring a physical copy of your music. You couldn't just send and a cassettes. link to an MP3 right. and, and on Bandcamp. And also, recording studios were very expensive and difficult to use. Right. Yep. You know, it cost money. So there was a barrier to entry. And, you know, we managed to do it. The guys I knew, none of us had any money. You know, this was a self-finance project. And somehow we managed to figure it out, right. which is what I want to um, beg the question. What do you think about Kickstarter? I know, um, Liz, you used Kickstarter to raise some dough. And, uh, no, no, she used another one. Uh, Indiegogo, right? Yeah. Okay, still, it's internet panhandling, okay? Uh, to me. I, I, <laughs> okay, tell me. Tell me experience. Tell me how you're justified asking somebody to fund your art project, because personally, right. I never had the chutzpah to do it. <laughs> um, good word for my Israeli yes. movies. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I will say that you know, I agree with what you guys were saying that you know, writing a book or doing certain things that doesn't require the same kind of initial capital. When it comes down to it, you need some money to do a movie. Yeah, That's and um, and so, so I've heard the term uh, when people talk about independent filmmaking. It's not really independent; it's interdependent, and I think that's kind of interesting. It's like the next level of DIY is this sort of community. It's not just you, but it's sort of the community pooling together to make something happen. And so, with filmmaking, it, that really works because you need more hands, you need more brains, and, and you need some money. So when I first raised the money for Jericho's Echo, that first film, it was before Indiegogo and before Kickstarter, but it was when Howard Dean, remember him, um, had raised a bunch oh, of money wow. for Dr. his. Howard Dean? He raised a bunch of money online for his campaign, and it was the first time anyone had done it. Everyone thinks Barack Obama's the big innovator. Not true. Barack Obama really made it work, but Howard Dean was the first one that got a lot of small donations online. Howard Dean is actually so, more popular than Barack Obama. Well, right now, who knows? <laughs> but anyway, so I took that model before there was an Indiegogo, before there was a Kickstarter, and I just set up a PayPal account on the website mm-hmm. for Jericho's Echo before the film existed, and I started asking my friends for 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there. And I think that people felt... Like, I didn't feel bad at all asking for it because it was just a little bit of money. And people wanted to be on board. People wanted to be part of something. They weren't necessarily out doing their own band or making their own movie, but they could have been part of Okay, so they get, they get the feel-good thing of being part of something. But, I agree. But didn't Filmmaking you? is collaborative. But, Judy, come on. Put the smack down on this because I know how much you hate Kickstarter. Well, you know what? I... I get stuff from people I haven't heard from in like 20 years going, oh, hey, how you doing? Why don't you visit my Kickstarter page? I'm doing right. like this thing. And I'm just like, I'm you know what? For your fucking Fuck band. Fuck you. <laughs> my friends have cancer and they need my money. You know, I'm right. not going to... I'm not going to fund your 24 hours of painting in a room. <laughs> you know, I'll send you a bagel or something maybe, but I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. Cause but look, the arts have always required patronage. Yeah. And these days, you know, it used to be only wealthy people could contribute to the arts and the arts were then made for those wealthy people. Now, like, People can get ten bucks here, ten bucks there. I think it's I think it's the overdose it's of it's just the deluge of Kickstarter yeah. emails Look, I get. I you totally get, agree. Again, when know. I was doing Jericho's Echo, it was before all that stuff, so I was actually kind of innovating at the time and using that sort of DIY spirit of like, how can I get this done? Now it's it, I definitely agree. It's overkill. I get I, I agree. invites all the time on a, on a different level because I occasionally go to see the, the symphony or the opera, and I'm on the mailing lists at Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're asking me for money to donate to Carnegie Hall. They yeah. ask I mean, you for money. Hundreds I mean, of dollars. For you, Carnegie you, fucking hall. You, you I mean, do, they, do they know me? Have they been to my house? Because <laughs> I got to pony up 125 bucks just to see the opera or the symphony. And the truth is, classical music, so-called classical music, is an unpopular art form mm-hmm. that's very expensive to produce, and it doesn't happen without corporate grants and individual donors. Which maybe on a large level doesn't make it any more different than punk rock. Um, 
I don't yeah, give, yeah, I give them my okay. money at the box office, and I would do the same thing for my local band. I don't think I need to send them a check to help them make their record. But that, but but don't, you, but didn't you go to shows sometimes to support the scene? Didn't you buy a record sometimes that you weren't sure you weren't going to like sure. to support the scene? I do it all the time. Once right. I get to exactly. a gig, I buy people's records. Exactly, and, I, feel, I, feel and I, I do that now with books. Like I will, if people who pitch my website, like, will you write about my book? I go to their website, I read about their book, and if I think their book is something I will like, I will just buy it as opposed to having them send me a free copy because I want to support the scene. And I think it depends on the project. And I don't know. I mean, are we being too precious? I don't know where the line is. I could see a movie about Israeli punk rock. Had I heard about it at the time you were pitching it, I would have been like, this is something I want to be part of. So I want to give money about it. But... When I was when I was when I decided I was going to self-publish Besides and Broken Hearts, I I, had, I started this whole Kickstarter plan, and then I re- looked at it and I said, "Wait a minute! I just want people to buy the book. I don't want them to give me ten dollars to put the book out. I want them to buy the book for ten dollars." Well, when it someone comes sends out. you ten bucks, yeah. they better get a copy of the book I mean, at the end right. of the day. Well, I mean that, but that that's I, I just decided that I would be spending time on Kickstarter as opposed to spending time on the marketing plan or sending yeah. out press it's copies. It's very time-consuming to do those campaigns, right? But I think, you know, a lot of like if you look at it more like uh, pre-sales than a donation, you know, that's just another approach to it. Like a lot of bands will say, buy our CD now before it exists. Yeah, that and, you know, I, I think see. that's fair. That's fair. Hey, don't we have to go to a break? Uh, let's take a break. Uh, so once again, we're here on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, fastest 30 minutes the fastest on the internet. The fastest 30 minutes on the internet, broadcasting from Roberta's Restaurant. We're here with uh, Liz, Karen, and Judy. This is Ian Dury from Do It Yourself. deserts of Sudan and the gardens of Japan from Milan to Yucatan every woman's every man hit me with your rhythm stick hit me hit me ich liebe dich hit me hit me hit me with your rhythm stick Hit me slowly Hit me quick Hit me Hit me Hit me In the wilds This is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network Every Tuesday at noon, Dave Arnold, the author of CookingIssues.com, will discuss new and innovative techniques, equipment, and ingredients. Call in with your own questions to see if Dave and the crew can solve your cooking issues. Again, that's Tuesdays at noon on the Heritage Radio Network. And we're back with Liz Nord and Karen Rose. Liz, tell me about... How how did you get to Israel? Like how how come Israeli punk? How come the new movie Battle for Jerusalem? And what is it about Jews and punk rock? <laughs> okay, those are two different questions. But I'll try to do my best. Jews and punk rock. I'll give a plug for a friend's book. See, we all it all comes around. Um, the heebie-jeebies at CBGB's. Oh, that's which I'm buying title. tomorrow. Okay, yeah, that's so another anyways, topic. I disagree strongly. I I, lo- I, lo- I like the uh, author. Um, actually, I actually have a photo of Dick Manitoba. My picture is in that book, but I do disagree with the premise okay. of that book because. I mean, the Ramones were not informed by their Judaism. You never know. It's pretty <laughs> deeply ingrained shit. But anyways, the point is there's a lot of Jews involved in punk rock. And I will say, you know, to tie it into the punk rock thing, that I feel like Israel is a really complicated and misunderstood country. And I Definitely. think, and, and who knows, I never really thought about it before, but it might be that sort of punk growing up, you know, ethos or whatever that, like, keeps compelling me to go back there and try to 
tell stories from that place that help unpack it a little bit because it is just you know just like your average small town punk rocker it's like a very well, Israel, mis- misrepresented place. Israel's a very fertile territory for punk rock and DIY. It's um, also a, a small... place full of stories. So for a storyteller, Absolutely. I mean, everybody there got there for you know in some yeah. crazy way, and you know, or or family was there and had to leave. Or you know, it's everyone has a story. Correct, There's correct nowhere me if that I'm wrong. Like I believe up. the greatest story ever told actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> there's, <In> some, the... <laughs> there's some pretty important uh, historical literature slash. <laughs> shit from God. Yeah, I tell you, you can be a country where there's mandatory conscription to the military and that's where you're going to see some good punk rock. But actually, actually, no. And one of the, one of the, I lived in Israel for six years and I worked for an Israeli record company, Head Artsy. And so, and I, I actually loaned my guitar on a regular basis to Zikne Tzfat, who were who was my were my neighbor across the hall, um, <laughs> Eshar Cohen, and they used to rehearse in my my ex husband's photography studio. So, and the oh the, God, the, the, fa- the fascinating thing to I me no about idea. why there was not more punk rock in Israel, and and I God, I wish I could remember his name, and if I spent ten minutes, I would think of it. One of the sort of pioneers of Israeli punk rock said the reason there isn't more punk rock in Israel is because in America, when you're sixteen and you're pissed off, you pick up a guitar. In Israel when you're 16 you're pissed off you're given a gun and so you don't have that teenage angst and only recently I think with you know cutting down on the on the amount of commitment in the in the mandatory conscription ha- and, and people being able to opt out of it more easily have people been able to sort of channel that into punk rock because it's not that Israel didn't want punk rock they just weren't sure how to do it and and it was definitely out, considered outsider art. It was really considered just, just outsider. like any other crime. You need motive right. and opportunity. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's still <laughs> definitely underground yeah. there, the scene or whatever, so, which made it appealing because here it's just not. You can go to the mall and yeah. buy your you know studded your belted hot topic. hot topic or whatever. But I mean, Zeke Nate's but, one of the first shows they played. They sold tickets to Stage Dive. They played at this club <laughs> called Roxanne. They played at this club called Roxanne, which I used to DJ at with How with funny at, with, with my friend Liron, um, Liron Tani. And uh, and they the first they sh- they they sold tickets to stage dive because they wanted to make sure they had stage divers and they people didn't they <laughs> want they didn't know that people didn't know how to do it. The most we knew about how to stage dive was watching Pearl Jam videos on MTV. Well, I didn't know I was going to come here and uh, learn something about Israeli. Sorry, I didn't really mean to get all over your stuff, but I actually do know a little <laughs> so bit. Sorry, yeah, oh, I had no idea. Amazing. This connection. That's hilarious. You know, there's a learning curve to any any culture you go to. I remember when I was on tour with my band Sharky's Machine back. Uh, thousand years ago and we went over to East Berlin to do a gig okay Mm. this is back West Berlin East Berlin the wall was still up it was only really months before uh, the wall came down and no one was even talking about it at the time the people in in West Berlin um, they had a complex relationship with the wall at the time they hated it because it represented oppression but they also liked it because it made them special yes and they knew that when it came down they're going to be overrun with refugees and there were going to be food lines and their world was going to change they weren't going to be this weird jewel and in this oasis of the Soviet bloc country which is exactly what happened, but no one knew what was going to happen. Yeah. So anyway, so we go over to East Berlin. Uh, somebody had a fanzine that they handed to somebody that they handed to someone, and you go over to East Berlin as a tourist, uh, and you pay you use uh, German marks or American dollars, so they brought hard currency into the country. I think it was $30, and you got a handful of useless script, you know, East German script. It was like made of tin. It was like Monopoly money, which was only good for buying beer. But you had to spend it while you were there, and you left. But somehow these guys organized a gig, you know, for our, you know, American New York punk rock band. You know, we were playing their guitars, which were made of plywood, and their amplifiers, which were made of, like, space heaters. You know, it was as DIY as you could possibly imagine. I mean, it was fucking illegal. But you get there, and they say, we love rock and roll. Have you heard of the Pink Floyd? 
Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, because that was it. This is like pre-internet, and that's all that was drifting over. It's there. interesting because a lot of the Israeli punk rockers are of Russian origin and even were born in like Russia or the Ukraine or whatever, mm-hmm. and they grew up with that same kind of like you know, getting a U2 cassette was, like, really badass. It's a rare jewel. And so it kind of makes sense that they then, you know, came into right. this more Western place and ended up getting into punk rock because it was that same kind of rock is dangerous I happen to believe mentality. in the electric guitar as a great sign of rebellion, and rock and roll is the great sign of American rebellion for a country that's famous for its revolution, and that translates much more to these countries than anyone who lives here and grew up with it could ever possibly imagine. Yeah. Let's talk about Karen's book for a second. Mm-hmm. Um... Karen, the for more than a second <laughs> for less than eight minutes. Um, Karen, the main character, the protagonist in your book is Lisa Simon, who's a woman in her late thirties, who's a music fan, and that's usually not the way women are portrayed in sort of rock and roll genre novel sort of thing. Like they're they're the groupie, they're the wife, they're the singer, right? They're they're or they're not the singer, or they're on the side, right? Um, I wanted to write. A book that was that represented my experience and my friend's experience and you know I, I say on my website you know it's it's if you were ever told gosh you know a lot sure you know sure, you sure know a lot about music for a girl this book is for you <laughs> that's so infuriating yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean but let's I almost kind of want to back it up a little further I originally called the book Joey Ramona's dead <laughs> and because that was what inspired me to to write the book was Joey's death and, and I, the inability of the protagonist's boyfriend to to grasp the importance of it. Yes, well, your Dave Matt, well, not yours, Lisa Simon's Dave Matthews loving right, <sighs> or or just it, it's it's everybody everybody who reads this book, male or female, will There's have had some of those. World to make me listen to the back they part. will have had some of those experiences. I mean, and also it used to be. I mean, at least it used to be when we were all growing up. Music, you picked a side. You you picked a fucking side. That's fucking right. Yes. You know, you picked is... a side that you were on, and there wasn't That's any of right. this sort of like milk toast. Oh well, you know, I can't. Goddamn understand. straight. Aerosmith does not jam with Britney Spears at the Super Bowl. That's just fucking wrong. <laughs> oh Scott, let's just not even you, you go know, there. You no, know, when I grew up, it's like you, yes, you, you chose sides. A Beatles side. are stones. It was more complex stones. than stones, of course. You pi- you picked you know, a but, side, and and and, and I'm know. just sort of waiting for the Dave Matthews <gasps> fans to find out about this because they're not going to get it. They're not, and 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 I saw a friend trying to sell this book uh, to her friends on Facebook and she happens to live near Dave Matthews in Wallingford and I okay I will say that Dave Matthews politics are right on and he spends a lot of money in the right right places and he treats his fans like gold but my god we have ruined rock and roll because kids used to want to grow up and play Keith Richards riffs and now they want to play guitar like like Dave Matthews that's right that is depressing god damn straight but this is is, and so this yes this is all what my book is about (laughs) yes but buy this book but the reason, you know, the, one of the reasons that it was so important to me to put, try to put it out myself was, this is based on the Ramones. This is based on punk rock. And yet you're telling me I now have to engage in, like, the corporate structure of big publishing mm. and, and hope that... And the reason I signed with the agency that I did was that the, the woman I originally pitched understood the story and understood that it was a love story and understand it didn't matter if it was the Ramones or if it was the Beatles or if it was, you know, Justin Bieber. It's about loving music and that music is music is not just a fucking product. I love your passion and that's great. But unfortunately, in the game of publishing, your editors who love this book got that but the marketing douchebag and the sales guy with the pinky ring and the slick back hair did not fucking understand because they wanted to pigeonhole you and put you into a box and they don't know your audience and and I and here's the thing about this book is that everyone is 
reading, staying up all night. I keep getting emails and, and, and tweets on Twitter. People saying, I stayed up all night reading your book. I can't remember the last time I did that. Huh? I can't wait to read it again. I have a friend who's, you know, this my Dominican friend, Wanda. This is not her music. And she she read it and like, one, like couldn't wait to keep reading it and has like made a list of all the songs. And she's like, I'm going to go. This is my rock and roll education. Wow. That's and so you, cool. And you put together a Spotify playlist. No, right? somebody, oh. I, somebody oh. I don't even know. A friend of mine told her followers my friend Molly Knight on ESPN tweeted all her followers that this was an awesome book and that you should buy it and some kids saw the playlist like I wrote out all the songs that were in the book and he was so inspired by the playlist and so excited he went and made a Spotify playlist and said here's your Spotify playlist that I just made no, that's marketing you can't buy I mean exactly. that's impressive. that's great and the best thing that could happen is that it really does catch on and it goes viral and then somebody will come to you with a big check and say hey we want to do your, your next project or and maybe I want a movie not. deal I want and, a movie or deal or and maybe it'll no. be like Barry Eisler who's a best-selling author who finally decided, fuck it, I'm going to self-publish and get all the money. That's right. Hey, like I said, you know, it's easy to self-publish when you're on top of the game. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, if I made a record now and I put it on the internet and I put it on iTunes, I've got the same distribution as Ice-T and Prince. Well, if we want to bitch about Kickstarter again, that's what gets me when big stars are like, we're going to finance our album. On Kickstarter. They don't need Kickstarter. I haven't seen that. There's a big star doing this? Like, the people who are making tons of money on Kickstarter, you know, dollars to start an album. Those are people who are who already have a you know big reputation Who's so doing this name names i'm like <laughs> blanking of course now that i brought it up but it's like you'll see the there biggest... have been some people that have if they just went to their fan base and said pre-order our new single our new project their fans would pre-order their new project and basically that's lending somebody money at zero interest yes it's yeah. bullshit so that annoys me but if pe- but if it's a startup artist and it's like their first album and their friends want to help them make it happen I think that's great I happen to agree I, be- I do believe in supporting the arts and like I yes. said I do it by going to my friends gigs uh, by buying their books instead of asking for a free copy because I know they would gladly give me one but I'd rather you know I'd rather drop a dime on Amazon and then post it on my Facebook page you and, know, if, you, and, and, and if you buy the book on Amazon you can review it and you know you get and those reviews actually mark. matter more than people think so if your yeah. friends have written mm. a book please write a review for them on Amazon no matter how dumb you think it is because there are opportunities that are open to self-publish wait, wait, offers that require that. X as amount of reviews there's got to be some line drawn write, write a review things. write a review but I do believe in yeah. that I do believe in that. Write a review for movies because I know that so, reviews on IMDb pages help you get funding and distribution. Do it. Do totally. it. Do Netflix it. Netflix also. I could use some good Netflix So, so Liz, <laughs> okay, good to know. this has been the fastest 30 minutes on the internet. But Woo. before we go, why don't you tell us quickly about your new project and where we can find you? You know, we actually got an email oh. question from the listener who wanted to know what Liz's new projects were. Excellent. Oh, that's wow. Awesome. <laughs> that's exciting. Nobody ever talks to us. It's probably my mom. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, really quickly, since we're running out of time, uh, I'm working on a new film back in Israel. Can't stay away. Too many stories. Um, it's called Battle for Jerusalem. It's not about the battle that people think between Israelis and Palestinians. It's actually an internal kind of conflict um, among the Jewish population. There's a there's a rapidly growing ultra-Orthodox population in Jerusalem um, who don't necessarily pay taxes because they're the men study Torah and the women raise an average seven children. Um, but there's a secular population which is sort of, sh- you know, shouldering the tax burden for all of that population while the ultra-Orthodox population wants the secular population to become more traditional, more religious. So there's a lot of tension there and it's, it's actually springing out some really interesting creative mo- wow. movements. Like it's almost yeah, like fertile ground for things like punk and other arts movements. So I'm, I'm documenting 
including the young people who are trying to keep Jerusalem pluralistic and open and democratic. Awesome. So tell our listener where uh, he can find you. He or she can find you. Battleforjerusalem.com. Any other, you got a Facebook page we can find you on? Twitter, Lizfilm, L-I-Z-F-I-L-M. Karen? I'm uh, Karen, C-A-R-Y-N-R-O-S-E, and it's B-SidesAndBrokenHearts.com, A-N-D spelled out, no ampersand. B-Sides and Broken Hearts, I love this book. Yeah, it's re- it's really good. And I love you, Judy. I do. I love oh, you. This too. has been our this has been our tenth show. This you. is our tenth show. Oh wow! And they said it wouldn't last. So for Mike and Judy and Karen and Liz, have a fabulous Sunday. See Happy you summer. next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Figure on the Pulp and City Winery are proud to present the Summer Barbecue Blowout Festival, August 6th, from noon to 4 p.m. The barbecue is happening at City Winery, located at 155 Varick Street in New York City. Restaurants featured at this event are Empire Mayonnaise, Van Dag, Momofuku Mofar, Imperial No. 9, Mile End, Mexicu, Kraft, Dizzy's Club, Coca-Cola, The Meatball Shop, and Dos Toros. Providing the soundtrack for the day are Midnight Magic, Pewter Magic, New Villager, Punches, Ducky, DJ Autobot, and the Snackatoon DJ. VIP and general admission tickets are available at citywinery.com. Finger on the pole for City Winery would like to thank our sponsors. Heritage Foods USA, New York Magazine, Rake of Vodka, Sonar, Smile, Guilt City, Sub-Zero and Wolf. Please come out and join us for a day of fun, food, and dancing. For more information, go to www.fotpnyc.com. 